I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Join us for a journey as we go back to the great civilizations of the past. Who were the people? What were they like? How did they begin? And how did they end? Let's find out on this episode of Fan of History. Hello, Dan. Hello, Bernie. We're back. Yes, and now we're going to talk about something we talked about a lot, but we haven't gone into depth on the subject. We have talked about the Assyrians' kings a lot, but what about the monarchy itself, the system that ran the entire empire? Let's talk about it. Let's dis, as they say. Dish, I believe, is the correct word. Tell me about the monarchy, Dan. Yes. Uh, the, the nature of the Assyrian monarchy, this extremely strong kingship that also controls religion in the empire, is something that grew gradually. Mm-hmm. It started with the good old Shamshadad I. <laughs> That's about 800 years before we started the podcast. Mm-hmm. He captured the city of Asher and added it to his domains. And then... He assumed the imperialistic title Saro, which is king. Ah. So this, this was sort of the, the birthplace of the Assyrian monarchy. But it really didn't develop until the time of Asher Ubalit I. He died in 1328 BC. Uh, this is an interesting story that I hope we will be able to tell sometime, but it was before we started the podcast. Right. Uh, in the chronology, obviously it was before we started the podcast because that was at in 1328 BC. During the Bronze Age still. Uh, Asher Ubalit uh, freed the Assyrians from uh, their conquerors. Uh, they had a bad time before that. And he laid the foundation for an Assyrian nation and the Assyrian monarchy that developed. And with the growth of the political and military power of Assyria, so grew the authority mm-hmm. of the king. 
And this helped a lot by the strong kingships of the Middle Assyrian period, mainly Tukulti-Ninurta I, who died in 1207 BC, and Tiglath-Pileser I, who I have done a YouTube video about on our YouTube channel. He died in 1076 BC, also before the podcast. Um, yeah, I mean, you, you, you definitely with, a, with a, an expanding empire at this time, you know, I don't, they needed a strong leader, you know, strong government type of thing. Remember that the empire was fading after Tiglath-Pileser I. It had a terrible period, and then the Neo-Syrian Empire rose in 911 BC. But the idea of the the god-king, the this incredibly powerful monarch, that lived on. So when the Neo-Syrian Empire started out, the, this was already established and everybody was ready to obey yeah. King. I think, and I, isn't it though, is it, didn't they, um, I believe there was a, Asher had a, being the oldest city, kind of had a city council and nobles and stuff like that. And then, you know, then during the Neo-Syrian Empire, that's why they moved the capital to Kalhu, so they could not have those guys bothering them. Exactly, I wanted to get away from the uh, traditional nobility with all their privileges and stuff. Right. So that that was accomplished by us moving the capital somewhere else. They could stay in Asher and do their thing, and the king could gain even more power. Right, which he needed if you're going to have this expanding military empire. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm afraid of our own country sometimes, you know, here with all our authoritarian just sort of thing. You know, when you have all this military and these things, it's hard to have to to govern by... By council, you know, by committee. Like, oh, should we... There's a bunch of people trying to kill us. Should we... Let's talk about it. <laughs> the uh, So when the king... When the monarchy comes into the Neo-Syrian Empire, you have a king that comes from a line that he claims is a thousand years old. He is also the earthly representative of mm-hmm. the supreme god, Asher, who is all gods. And Asher speaks through this guy. So he's like the link between all the gods, all the supernatural powers, mm-hmm. and the the country itself. So you can't disobey this guy. His power is supreme. But of course, he has to take a lot of things into account. Right. And I think what's interesting to note at that point is that he is the represented, like you said, he's the representative of the god Asher, but he is not a god like the Egyptians. Their pharaohs were actual gods. Were this? Yes, it was an absolute mistake on my part to call him a god king because he is absolutely not a god king. It is well known that he is a mortal. Right, which is important. But yeah, you know, I guess you said god king, but you didn't say, you know, he's the representative. So for, But in Egypt, he was the god. Yes, this guy is not a god, but he is the one who can interpret the supreme god's will. Right. Uh, above all. And then, of course, he's the head of all religion. So he's the pope at the same time, pretty much. Yeah, it's, that's what we, it's interesting. We don't, you know, how we think of that. They're very so superstitious that, you know, anything you did, the king did was... Yeah, also it is pretty n- remarkable that the Assyrian kings take great pain to look exactly like the guy before them and all the guys before him. I know. I was thinking the same thing. How do they? And well, they must. I know they worked their calves and their forearms very hard because they always had the big calves and forearms in their pictures. And they do. They look exactly the same. That's part of the plan, right? Yes. 
And also there was a lot of mechanisms in the empire to keep this supreme godlike position of the Assyrian monarch in everybody's mind. So you couldn't access the king. He was so high above you. And if you had to meet with the king, if you were important enough to meet him, it was extremely difficult to get to see him. And then you had to go through these these palaces with the corridors flanked by Lamassu and Lion Colossi and stone reliefs depicting the king and his ancestors destroying his enemies. And uh, But the Assyrian king considered other kings huh. sometimes as his brothers. So the only equal mortal to an Assyrian king was a powerful foreign king. But this was reserved for the the really powerful leaders of other countries. Right. Yeah, remember when we had Dogdami, the, the, the Sumerian warlord, and he was a king of kings. I think sometimes when I, I feel like when people don't dig into this period so much, they'll say like, oh, this guy was so stuck up. He called himself king of kings or king of the universe or king of lists. But I think it was the word king could be more like a, it could be, you could be kind of more like a mayor almost, you know, like just a little country, a little city or the king. And then, but you, you know, when you're an Assyrian emperor, that wasn't a real word at the time, emperor, not that I know of. So, you know, they were king of the world. Yes, the Assyrian king had a lot of titles. And one of the titles was actually the king of kings, the Tsar Sarsani. Right. He's the king of all the kings. And of course, they did conquer uh, Egypt and put the god king of Egypt below the Assyrian king. There were some checks on the king's power pretty much three important mechanisms that stopped the king from doing whatever he wanted. Uh, one of the things were religion. So mm. a lot of people knew what the Assyrian religion was like, so he couldn't uh, contradict the religion. Mm-hmm. For example, this demand to make a yearly campaign. The, ki- the king would be looked down upon if he didn't. There was also this extreme conservative nature of the the nation. So there was a lot of legal precedents that the king were expected to do stuff like the kings before him had done them. And there was also, also, of course, all the other powerful people in Assyria, like the nobles and the officials. And their will could not be ignored all the time. So sometimes you have to make them happy. Otherwise, you have a very badly functioning empire. Right. I, I feel I have a thought on this, too. I've been thinking of, you know, I, th- I feel I always maybe, maybe people wonder, like, well, he's the king. Why doesn't he why does he need a powerful person? He could just tell them this and, you know, um, bring all these resources together. But I think you have to realize that. You know, but again, we're not in modern times, so you needed that strong person who who had a, a big property and a lot of servants and people and literally an army. You know, I think I take I think of them kind of like companies. Like in our world today, we don't really tell companies exactly what to do. We sort of do, but we give you know, but we tell our government officials exactly what to do. But then you, I think I feel like some of those nobles were sort of like companies. You kind of had to get everybody together. Now, of course, if a little different if you got bad, you know, like cut your head off and stuff, but. You know, you don't have to, like, you know, your secretary of state to do what you want him to do because you just tell him to do that. You know what I mean? Yes, I think you're right. 
Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Uh, we also have, I have to stress that again, the extreme conservative nature of the country. Mm-hmm. So actual examples of the Assyrian king going against tradition or against religious beliefs are extremely rare. Mm-hmm. So I think the king is under a lot of pressure from his ancestors, pretty much, to try to do what they did. Right. And, and because there's no legal remedy, right? You can't say, you can't impeach the king, right? You can't impeach Sennacherib. But then if Sennacherib burns down Babylon, it pisses a lot of people off and his sons crush him with a statue. So you got to be careful. You still got to do it. You know, you still have some checks on your power. Exactly. Then we also have the traditional rights of individuals, such as property ownership mm-hmm. and also tax exemptions that were granted for some reason in the past. And the king tended to respect those things. And then you start running out of money. You have to go invade somebody else and get their stuff. But once the king set his will on something and took all of this into consideration and said something, his will was supreme in all affairs of state. He was also the sole legislator. With royal decrees, he could make new laws and there was no mechanism to stop this. Right, except killing him. Yes. (laughs) There wasn't even a legal assembly of any sort uh, which they had in Sumer that were sort of working on the laws but the king could just make laws right most often he he sought advice from officials and of course he was looking at the omens and had to go to the the seers and get their information before he did so and that's going to be a whole topic for sure but yeah it's crazy right how they just had all these omens and they had to check everything We'll talk about religion too, which is. Gosh. Thank God they did it though, because that's where we have a lot of our information. Some of our best information comes from these omen you know, requests like, will we you know, prevail in Egypt? And they know the date of that. And they'll say, okay, well, we knew he was going to Egypt that day because he was wondering. Also, if you were 
you wanted a legal interpretation of something. You wanted the, uh, the, the judgment of judge on the laws that existed. The supreme judge was the king. <laughs> so, right. So you had a lot of different positions that uh, were all the, on top of the pyramid. He was also, of course, the commander-in-chief of the army. Mm -hmm. And we have seen how the king wants to be the supreme commander-in-chief of the army on the field. But sometimes he can't, and then you have to bring in the Tutano, which we'll talk about in the social structure. Good old Tutano. Yeah, the king, I, I've been, I've been, as, as I study this Assyrian history, we do, I, some of the kings were very good military leaders. And then I, I think that those really good ones, they sort of set... Sort of like accelerating, get up your car up a hill, and then you could really coast for a while. Then they'd have a couple of sons that weren't quite as good. But the ones that were really into the military, they like Tiglath Pileser the Third, Sargon, even Sennacherib. I feel like those guys that I know of, they were very good military leaders. Yes. Uh, according to, uh, if you look at the religion, you have to note the contrast to Babylon, where the high priest was a different person than king. Uh -huh. But the, the Assyrian king is the high priest, the Sangu of the god Asher, the supreme god. Ed, yeah, that's a big difference. Also, in theory, the king owned the entire empire, all the land <laughs> and all the trade. But that was not how it played out in practice. Right. Right, because they, they were definitely, not, you know, you can only handle so many rebellions and cut off so many noses and fingers. Also, because the king had so many powers, he had a lot of responsibilities. Yeah. And there you get the individuality we talked about for the kings, because it, it depended a lot on what the king cared about. If he wanted to do building, he would do building, and he would leave the other th stuff to others. Right. So the... the interests of the king play a huge part. It was not, wasn't supposed to be like that, but it clearly was like that. And, and in the military realm, another, I think, very important thing that's not always thought of is they were the head of the, kind of the head of the intelligence services too, you know? Like, even today, you know, as soon as you become president of the United States or imagine in your country as well, all of a sudden you get all these, you know, intelligence secret reports of what's happening in, you know, your network. And, and that was definitely a big part of the game your job yes pretty much you can because who's in charge you know you have to, you know they have to be need to know then you know it has to be some people obviously the king is one of them pretty much you can assume that in the assyrian empire if there is an organization the king is the highest person in it right even if he doesn't care about that organization in his entire life right and then if he doesn't though that's not good for the that's when they start to have problems like after um, shalmaneser the third died right they had those 50 years of nobody really was too good of a king yes so imagine the responsibility of this guy even if other people took care on one of these subjects or one of these fields of of the empire one of what's the word uh the responsibilities or the intelligence you mean uh, one of the responsibilities in the nation and the king left it to somebody else that person would do it in the name of the king and of course he would report it to the king right so this poor king is overwhelmed with responsibilities and information totally i read an amazing book i can't think of the guy's name i think it's david nadali his name is i think that's who wrote it and it was about the assyrian intelligence services 
really good. I mean, they, and the kings that were good, so like Tiglis Pileser III, he had a good intelligence service. And then... We should add that as a subject. I could add that as a subject, actually, because I read, I, that was a very interesting book. I, we could, let's talk about that. I will, I, we could definitely talk about that. It's a little complicated. I'm reading the book. It was like, wow, it's complicated. And you can see they had it. But really, you know, these guys who, you know, if Karen Radner ever listens to this, I know she's one of the believers that they were the same king line from all along. But you and me, you know, we're more of the, there were some usurpers along the way. And namely, Tiglis Pileser, third, Sargon. And Sargon. His, so Sargon was another one. He's a great military commander. Worked, you know, under Tiglis Pileser. Had that whole intelligence network, and then Sennacherib took it over, and he actually ran the intelligence network while Sargon was out in the field. And they have a lot of information on that. So, in the end, there was one person that could be a great help to the king. One person in the empire more important than any other person to the king. Can you guess who? The cupbearer. <laughs> oh, we'll talk about the cupbearer in the... That's an important guy, but he's not the most important person. Um, I give up. I forget. And that required you, you, the king to be of a certain age. But if you had a capable crown prince, oh. you could substitute him for yourself. And we saw that happen very clearly with Sargon and Sennacherib. That's Sennacherib, do all the building stuff. I will go out and fight. Yep. And that's the, the only person you could pretty much give that authority to. So the, the crown prince is kind of like the king when the king isn't there. Yeah. If you're lucky and you have a good one, you know, crown prince, I guess. Yes, but we, we'll, we'll talk about succession. So the, the crown prince was mostly a pretty capable guy. Yeah. Well, that take the right one, I guess, most of the time. And I, I do. I feel like that, that the crown prince was in charge of a lot of the intelligence stuff. That was a big role. I mean, even to, I have a friends who work in the intelligence business. That's a. There's a lot of stuff that happens that you know you don't really all to talk about. I mean, you got it. You know, the ancient art of war. If you didn't know what was happening, you're gonna lose. So that's one of the reasons the Assyrians were so good. They knew. They you know they had, they kept their ear to the ground. Oh yes. So we have this king with all his responsibilities and all the work he has to do. He then spends most of his time, when he's not out on campaign, he's in the palace and in the harem. That sounds like fun. We, we don't know a lot about the Assyrian court, but it's probably quite safe to assume that it was like other better known oriental courts. And of course, of course we as Westerners think... Oh, the harem. That's interesting. <laughs> you think like water and like all these beautiful women and they're eating grapes, right? And there's like waterfalls and just this big party. Let's uh, keep that image in our heads. But we, we really have no information about the number of wives, concubines, serving maids and eunuchs. We don't have those figures for any Assyrian king. But there, in the harem, there was one person who would assume all responsibility if the king was not present. And this person was so important that she had her own court. And it was the queen mother. Aha. The chief wife. Or, or, the, or the mother of the king. 
which was most likely the chief wife of the previous king. Right, yeah, so like 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 Zakia was. Nakia. Yes, but it, it wasn't always like that. Right. But th- there was a separate court in the harem for the queen mother. And you can see this court copying stuff from the, the king's court. Yeah, yeah. Also, the crown prince could have a court of his own. It's funny how they call it a court. I just feel like it's like not like a courthouse. It's just like they're, it's like they're... It's like their entourage, kind of, right? Yes, the organization around them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know. It's like the bureaucracy and their buddies and their wives and everything. Now, the king would marry, you know, foreign wives, too. And that's another thing about the king. So in a, we talked about on the last episode about the, um, you know, the father passed his eldest son, et cetera, et cetera. And then they would have slaves and they might have children with them that weren't legitimate. And the king... You would pass from the out to the eldest son, but you could you didn't have to be from the queen mother to be the next king. You could be from a different. They wanted you know most of the time it was from the main wife, but you could have a you know successor that's not, as long as he's part of the queen's king's family. Yes, in the end, it was the king's decision who would succeed him. Right, uh, and it wasn't very often. It wasn't the, uh, that it wasn't the, the eldest son. Right. So, of course, the harem led to children. And if they were boys, they could not stay around in the harem once they um, got into puberty. Or at at some age, they were fairly young when they were removed, uh, mainly for education and training. Yeah, good idea. We still laugh. Sometimes they say that when you see kids with their moms, like, okay, this boy needs to go with the men. (laughs) Yes. He can't stay around in this place with 300 hot women. <laughs> that too, right. And, he, you know, it's just sort of that. I think they made them, you know, they teach them how to hunt and fight and be, you know, what, be a man with, to be at the time. And the women stay with the women. I, I just learned that elephants split up into packs like that. Did you know that? I didn't. Yeah. Like, so elephants, when the, boy, when the males reach puberty, the males and the, pu- you know, the, young, the teenage boys, they are a pack. And then the, the, the women... The females, the babies, male and female, and then the teenage, you know, girls. They're two packs, and then they just get together to mate and whatever. Once the crown prince was officially designated the crown prince, he got his own uh, house of succession. And this is mainly after Sargon, but possibly earlier. And there he got his own court. He had a personal bodyguard, and he got this important position of crown prince. Where it was like a substitute king. He probably had a lot of work to do too, especially if he was running, you know, the other, those other things, intelligence services and military things and everything. Ashurbanipal himself tells us what he did in the House of Succession when he was the crown prince. Yeah, I remember that. He said that he was trained in uh, fighting, strategy, intellectual pursuits. He had to learn to ride and shoot. But then, of course, we had his special knowledge of reading and writing, which was not something the crown prince usually yeah. uh, knew how to do. <laughs> he was, then, and he, he, Shamashuma Ukin and him used to fight. Remember he said they were, how they used to play and he used to annoy him? <laughs> <laughs> he probably was a little annoying bastard, Ashurbanipal, when he was a kid and a bit reduity. <laughs> I bet. I could read better than you. <laughs> 
so we, d- we don't really know uh, a lot about what happened to the other sons or the daughters. The daughters are probably married off. But uh, we, I think this is just me- my speculation that the king would use the other princes assigning them. So yeah, that wraps up, uh, you know, about the monarchy. Comment on our Facebook page. Send me messages. Any questions, anything like that. It's, you know, Bernie Mayapolsky. Do our Patreon, right, Dan? Yes. If you like this show, please contribute on the Patreon. Fan of history. Yes. A dollar a show would help us quite a bit. So anyway, we'll get you next time on Fan of History. See you next time. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Patreon.com slash fan of history. Just a dollar an episode would help us out. Thanks, and see you next time. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.